What's up, everyone? I am here at East Denver. It is Sunday around midday. The conference is wrapping up, and it was just an insanely awesome conference. So much cool stuff happened. Uh, the only thing left for, for the conference is for hackers to uh, show judges their, their projects, and then uh, the judges will decide and, and give out, like I think, thirty to $50,000 of total... Uh, total grants out to different hacking teams, not including the uh, grants given by these various sponsors of the event. Uh, I have gone around and interviewed uh, these, the people who have booths, so people like MakerDAO, the Scale Network, uh, uh, the Seller Group, um, Gitcoin, Status Wallet. Uh, so I, I interviewed people and, and asked them to give our listeners the pitch as if they were here at East Denver. So I've tried to make this an episode for you to listen to. If you missed East Denver, you will kind of get the East Denver experience by listening to this. In addition to the um, to the, the booth setup, I've interviewed some hacking teams about what they have built. And then I've also tracked down some personalities in this space. So it's an awesome lineup. Uh, I tracked down Andreas Antonopoulos and he was happy to give a quick like three, four minute interview. Uh, Eric Voorhees is in this podcast. Uh, Amin Soleimani is in this podcast talking about Moloch. Uh, Hudson Jameson is in this podcast talking about governance. Mariano Conti from MakerDAO, he's in this podcast. So, so many cool people giving their opinions about uh, East Denver 2019, asking them to compare and contrast East Denver with other East Global Series, and then also uh, just what they hope to see coming out of this event. So it's just an absolutely rock star lineup. I'm super happy with everybody that I got on the podcast. Uh, so without further ado, let's just get into it. And first up, we have Andreas Antonopoulos. Andreas, thanks for coming on to POV Crypto. Oh, my pleasure, David. Uh, so this is your ETH, uh, your first ETH Global event, I believe? Yes, that's correct. I've attended them online, but this is the first time I've attended in person. And so what about Ethereum Denver really excites you? I mean, I really like the hackathon style. Um, you know, having lots and lots of people working on different projects and exchanging ideas and in a competitive environment. I think that's really, really good. Um, East Denver, as an event, kind of expresses a lot of the, the principles that I care about. So it's a very inclusive and diverse event, uh, very broad and welcoming to the whole community with a lot of opportunities uh, and a lot uh, designed to make it as possible for everyone to attend. Little things like having childcare on site, for example, are really important, but also the way that speakers are chosen and organizers work uh, to ensure diversity, that's really important. So it's a really friendly environment, very productive environment, very creative environment. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So this is a hackathon. So what are you hoping that people build on top of? Are there any projects that you're hoping people kind of uh, aim their efforts at? I, I can't answer that question because I'm one of the finalist judges. Oh, fair enough. So fair I, enough. Can't, I can't talk about what I'm going to judge on. We'll see. It's probably going to be um, how many uh, beers are given to me for free tonight at Rory's Tavern at 8 p.m. That's right. my judging criteria. And that's a, that's a after your keynote speech, right? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, can you give the, our audience who aren't they aren't going to listen to your speech what is what's kind of going to be inside of it? Well, I haven't really finalized the topic because it's mostly improvisational. But I want to talk about unstoppable code and governance. Cool, absolutely. And then any requests for our listeners? What should they pay attention to in the uh, coming like two years in the in the cryptocurrency ecosystem? Well, I think uh, one of the things that's been a huge uh, effort for me and, and something that I care a lot about is making this technology available to as many people around the world as possible. And one of the things um, that people can do to help with that is to help with translation efforts to translate books, articles, video subtitles, uh, code documentation, software documentation um, into as many languages as possible. So many people who are part of the Ethereum community are multilingual, bilingual or trilingual, and they can translate. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's a great way to learn about technology because you have to really understand it while you're reading it in order to translate it accurately. And it's a great way to contribute to this world phenomenon. It's often... Um, it's often possible to forget that this isn't just an English language phenomenon and we need to think broadly. Cool. Awesome. Andreas, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, David. Hi, guys. I'm here with Carl Forsch. Carl, say hi. Why, hello. How's it going? So we are here at East Denver. Carl, what makes you excited about East Denver? 
ETH Denver seems to be this combination of so many such cool Ethereum developers and projects, and like a lot of people are here. Oh my gosh! Like tons of people from Consensus, tons of people from the Ethereum Foundation, tons of people from just the Ethereum community that I've seen at, in conference after conference. Um, it's just a great group of people. Cool. What would make ETH Denver uh, a success for you? Um, I would say things that would make ETH Denver a success for me would be surprising me with what you can do with Ethereum, with you know financial tools built on Ethereum, with smart contracts, with meta transactions, with layer two scaling solutions. Right? Like there, there, there are a lot of tools out there, but now it's like, okay, how do you actually combine all of these tools to create something that is you know unexpected that I did not realize you know you could do. What about uh, somebody or a team that could be building on something more specific? Is there any sort of platform that you're hoping people are building on? Well, I have to say that I've been doing a lot of plasma research and a lot of you know, state channel and that, that kind of like layer two stuff in addition to the kind of you know Ethereum 2.0 uh, uh, fun stuff that I had been doing a while ago. Um, and so I would say that you know, build something on top of Plasma. Um, I mean, if you want some scalability that inc that that you know doesn't compromise security, it's like a very reasonable thing to do. Or you know, state channels, all that kind of stuff. It just like enables new things. But then, in addition to that, because I have a sweet spot for that, because you know, I'm into scalability. I'm into like the core protocol stuff. Um, but on top of that, like all the stuff that Maker has been doing with and like inspiring with these financial tools and you know Uniswap for instance like all of these different smart contracts and how they interact with one another really really cool um, and so you know building on top of any of those is definitely still a warm spot in my heart <laughs> and Carl I believe you have a gerbil themed website will you plug that website because I have personally learned a ton from it I do indeed. So I have a crypto economics course called Crypto Economics Test Study, which I do with my co-founder Jinglan Wang, and we essentially go over a bunch of crypto economic principles and the kind of you know, in the beginning, you know, how do you actually consider and and think about the decentralization space? And so so this is you know a bunch of YouTube videos online. There's a forum. There's also you know a book with a, a bunch of you know draft stuff and and. and it is evolving all the time and in fact this is a community project oh my gosh I need to show out Kevin um, uh, who has been really like taking the lead in, in, in you know building this thing out um, he's been you know doing such an amazing job and honestly it is a testament to the decentralization space this entire like hackathon is a testament because it's like wow we're all together building on the same stuff which seems like crazy to me but not only that you know I just put out this uh, you know crypto economics course and now other people are taking it further than I could imagine taking it and I'm not even you know I didn't know them before just a couple weeks you know months ago so it's it's a very cool experience and there's a lot of gerbils please take a look tell your friends and build on plasma and scale blockchains and also build some crazy derivatives that'd be a lot of fun cool thanks for coming on pov crypto carl <laughs> all right, thanks. Amin, thanks for coming on POV Crypto. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, Moloch Dow just got released. You want to talk a little bit about what just happened here? Yeah, we're summoning demons to save Ethereum. Uh, but all, all jokes aside, we shipped the smart contract uh, two nights ago, 1 a.m. So Moloch was born on uh, Valentine's Day. It was a, an act of love. It's been a passion project for many of us. Uh, I submitted proposals for myself and Cassandra, who's another one of the founders. Uh, and uh, a, a few others are, are coming as well. Yesterday on stage, uh, I uh, voted both of us in. So in about 12 days, uh, our uh, proposals to join will be accepted and uh, the 100 shares that we bought with 100 ETH will be granted. Uh, and at that point, we are decentralized and yeah. Cool, so Moloch DAO can be uh, donated to by anyone. So if one somebody's interested to donating to Moloch, how does that happen? Yeah, so anybody could actually donate by just sending money, but if you want to buy votes, uh, you have to be voted in by the existing members. And so that's sort of an anti-spam thing because only the existing members can submit proposals. Uh, and so you have to convince a member to submit a proposal on your behalf, and then you specify the amount of ether that you are willing to contribute and the amount of shares that you would like to request. And those shares are newly minted. So here's how it works. 
if there's like $100 million in the Guild Bank and like 100 outstanding shares and you want to buy in, you will request one share and put in like a million dollars and that way the price stays relatively the same for everybody. Very cool. And you just got off of a panel talking about funding uh, Ethereum I uh, infrastructure. What was your big takeaway from that panel? Uh, the big takeaway, um, well, one of, one of the other panelists was, you know, somebody who we all have a lot of respect for, and that's uh, Aya, uh, who's the executive director of the EF. And I think one of the most interesting things that came out of that was that the EF is willing to work with other, you know, l large uh, ETH holders like, you know, Gnosis and Aragon that have their own uh, grant funds uh, in order to, like, coordinate more uh, grant uh, allocations and I thought that was really cool because it means that there might be a future where you see a lot of these uh, not just individuals but as organizations join maybe Moloch maybe things like Moloch are inspired or derived by uh, the DAO but uh, these types of organization structures I think are here to stay. Cool and last question what excites you about East Denver what do you want to see come out of this uh, conference? Um, I mean, ETH Denver is always exciting. I want to see. I want to see something that I would never have guessed was possible on Ethereum. I want to see something that blows my mind and is like, oh my god, I didn't even realize we could do that. Like, uh, I remember when people started talking about like using Uniswap liquidity tokens and then like providing markets on those and, and, and these kind of derivative products that are always really interesting when you see the the power of uh, interoperable smart contracts come to life. Uh, that's always something I get excited about. Cool, and that is just the power of Ethereum, isn't it? I mean, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, hope to get you on for a full-length episode on Moloch Down in the future. Cool, thanks. Cool, cool. All right, guys, I am here with Hudson. Hudson, thanks for coming on POV Crypto. Absolutely, love it. Uh, so, Hudson, you just got off of a panel about governance. What was your biggest takeaway about that panel? My biggest takeaway was that I think the state of our governance is a little, like of Ethereum's governance, is a little bit better than I thought it was. I think more people trust it than I thought it was, than I thought people trusted it. And uh, I think there's some hope for the future. Absolutely. So we are at a hackathon. What are you hoping to see out of all the hacking teams at the end of this conference? So the teams that I'm most excited about are the ones that try to hide Ethereum from the end user. Mm. Kind of like how the TCP IP stack with the internet, you don't mess with that. You just go to the web page. I want that experience when I'm handling a dApp. And so I, those are the projects I'm most excited about. Cool. Have you ever been to an ETH Global conference before? Yeah, I went to last year's ETH Denver, I've been to ETH Berlin and ETH Waterloo. So you are an ETH Global expert. So how would you say that this particular event has compared to ones in the past? I think that because of the location and the people running it, it's like unique. It's like very laid back. It's very Denver. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> yeah, like, and uh, it just it just has this feeling of like love and the culture around it is just amazing. I, I think it's great. For you, what would make ETH Denver a successful event? I think if we onboard a bunch of new developers and get them excited about Ethereum, I think that would be the number one metric for success. Uh, we have a lot of people here who've never used Ethereum before and are wanting to get involved or maybe like have been watching from the sidelines but really want to start to get out there and more of a public-facing thing. And uh, I think that that's, that's also great. Cool. All right. Hudson, do you have any requests for our listeners? Um, if you want to get involved, uh, join like uh, Reddit, the subreddit, and kind of uh, say your opinions. Join the F Magicians Forum, Ethereum Stack Exchange. We have a lot of different places you can interact with chat rooms on Gitter and Discord and uh, Telegram. Just get involved. Get out there. Don't sit on the sidelines. Cool. Hudson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Cool. That was great. Perfect, dude. That was awesome. All right. Exactly what I wanted. All right, guys. I'm here with Nadav from Dharma. Nadav, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. How's it going? So, Nadav, we're here at East Denver. Let's, uh, for our listeners who aren't able to come, we want to explain Dharma to them as if uh, they are here at the booth. Yep, absolutely. So, so Dharma is a, a platform for borrowing and lending cryptocurrencies globally. Um, and so I, I usually like to kind of explain this in two acts. Uh, the first being that uh, there is Dharma kind of the protocol, and then the latter being Dharma lever the product. Um, and so Dharma protocol is essentially like a open, decentralized, and permissionless credit market um, that anyone anywhere in the world with an internet connection can access. Um, and so you can kind of think of it as being akin to something like 
Zero uh, X, which is a open permissionless protocol for exchanging tokens. But instead of exchanging tokens, you're borrowing and lending tokens. Um, and so essentially, anybody in the world can go and spin up a website uh, that earns them fees for allowing people to tap into this underlying credit market. Uh, and we have some fin some fantastic projects in our ecosystem that have done this already. The the best example being Blockboard, B L O Q B O A R D dot com. Um, now the second act of this is kind of what we are building with Dharma Lever. Um, and so essentially, in the year or so that we've been building Dharma, it's been pretty clear that the primary use case for borrowing and lending crypto um, is largely speculative lending. It's it's you know like either trying to get leverage in certain assets or uh, trying to get short exposure. Um, and we also found that um, a lot of users are being limited by the fact that most decentralized financial platforms rely on um, uh, specialized browser extensions like MetaMask in order to interact with them. Um, and so we essentially wanted to go ahead and build a product on top of, uh, of Dharma Protocol that brings borrowers to our doorstep and, and lets them actually interface with the underlying credit market, but lets them do it in a way that's just absurdly simple and easy and that virtually any cryptocurrency user with even just a Coinbase account can use. Uh, and so that's Dharma Lever. If you go to dharmalever.com, you can learn a lot more about it. Very cool. And so have you been to other ETH Global Series? I have. Uh, so I've been to a, like a bunch. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Most them. Most of them. Yeah, exactly. So how would you say that uh, this uh, iteration of ETH Denver has uh, compared or contrasted to uh, other ETH Global events? Yeah, I think ETH Denver. It's it's something about it. Like I don't I, I don't quite understand why it is, but but ETH Denver just seems to have the biggest scale to it of all the ETH Global events. Uh, in that there's just like an absurd amount of hackers here. Um, it's it's such an easy place for people from around the like the world honestly to get to and a lot around America especially to get to um, that you just have this like fantastic critical mass of people um, and and then finally I think that what I really like about it is that like there's kind of an emphasis among the organizers of making sure to use decentralized technologies at the actual conference and so for instance like um, you know there's these uh, like uh, Bufficorn dollars, as they call them, that are allocated to each attendee here um, that you can use to like uh, actually uh, purchase, you know, like food and snacks and things like that. Um, and what's cool as hell about it is that they are using like the bleeding cutting edge of like meta transactions and uh, uh, burner wallets and all this awesome stuff in order to enable this experience in like a truly seamless way. Um, and it is actually leveraging blockchain tech. And so it's, it's really cool to like be at an event that like eats its own cool, like not eats its own Kool-Aid, um, eats its own dog food, it's its own. Uh, drinks its own Kool-Aid and eats its own golf, dog food. <laughs> um, uh, and, I, and I think the Denver organizers have done a great job of that. Cool, so a bunch of hackers are here right now currently working on projects. Uh, is there, what kind of projects are you hoping that they are building or any other kind of protocols that you're hoping that they uh, are building upon? Yeah, if I was building if I was starting from scratch and I was a hacker at ETH Denver, I would really want to build just the best goddamn die wallet out there. Um, like there should be a like a wallet that has like UX parity with like something like Venmo, but for like die. And somebody needs to do that. And like I would love to see just like a hacker designer team just just knock that out of the park. Um, and use all the sort of fancy stuff that's being worked on in meta transactions and uh, burner wallets and things like that in order to enable that. Um, and so, so I'd, I think that that's what I would love to see people to in invade on. Absolutely. I totally agree on that point, actually. I I'm worried that a lot of hackers think they need to create like the most like ridiculously awesome, complex piece of infrastructure. Yeah. And I think at some point it's time for the Ethereum hacker world to kind of roll back and be like, okay, the infrastructure is here. We just yeah. need to make it pretty. Yeah, uh, and so exactly, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree. I think I think you, the usability is, is should be really well funded by ETH Global Series. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, we internally like all the time talk about in the company like, okay, we should be like we should not be Venmoing each other, right? We should be using crypto for this. But it's hard, man. It's not easy yet. And like, and we kind of have the tools at our disposal now. Like, we're not that far from it. It's 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 there's not any breakthroughs that need to be made. We just got to do it. Cool, awesome, Nadav. Do you have any requests for our listeners? Um, if you are interested in learning more about what we're doing, go to dharmalever.com, dharma spelled D-H-A-R-M-A, uh, and then lever spelled L-E-V-E-R, uh, and sign up for the waitlist. Cool. Thanks, Adav. Cheers.
Hello, everyone. I'm here with Rory from Chainlink. Rory, say hi. Hello, everybody. Nice to meet you guys. Rory, welcome to POV Crypto. We're here at East Denver. Uh, Rory, you want to explain what uh, excites uh, Chainlink, the Chainlink team, about East Denver and why you guys decided to come here today? Yeah, I think uh, the thing that excites us the most is, is meeting uh, a lot of great teams and seeing how many different implementations are possible with Chainlink. So as we talk to these teams, talk about their needs, data for their smart contracts, uh, I think it's exciting for us to, to kind of really see and be able to speak to people that need uh, kind of the solution that we provide in this space. So for those who aren't familiar with Chainlink, you want to give them a 30-second pitch? Yeah. So Chainlink is a decentralized Oracle network uh, used to deliver reliable data to smart contracts. This data could be something like the ability to do bank transfers. Um, it could be basically any API, public or even subscription APIs. So really, it's, it's essentially a way for you to get decentralized data into your smart contract. You've spent a lot of money and time developing its security. We feel that right now, Oracles are probably the weakest link to that and maybe one of the biggest attack vectors. And so the ways to minimize that and increase your reliability is to simply ask for a lot of people to give you that data and then have the opportunity to look at it uh, and uh, basically uh, you know increase that reliability based on everyone giving similar answers. Rory, do you know if any uh, hacker teams are hacking on top of uh, Chainlink at this conference? Yeah, we've actually talked to a lot of teams. A lot of people have come by our booth and, and talked to my talked to myself and talked to Thomas. So we're really excited to see what they implement and uh, kind of the creativity that they bring to the hackathon. Cool. I'll be waiting to see the uh, the final presentation, see what, see what they can do. Uh, for you guys, what would make Ethereum Denver a successful conference? Well, I think honestly for us, it, it really already has been with the number of people that we've talked to and the number of uh, different teams that we've engaged with. But I think really it's just seeing creative uses, implementing Chainlink uh, in ways that continue to excite both our community and the team. Cool. Hi, everyone. I am here with Kevin from Gitcoin. Kevin, say hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Alright, so for everyone that wasn't able to make it to Ethereum Denver, will you explain them what Gitcoin is? Yeah, so Gitcoin is actually not a coin itself. We don't have a token. We're a place that you can get coins if you're an open source software developer. So basically we have a repository of funded work in open source software that you can go to start working on the issue and then when you submit a pull request you get paid out in ERC20 tokens in exchange for your work in open source software. So really quickly, will you compare and contrast Gitcoin to ICOs? Yeah, so I mean, uh, Gitcoin does, uh, is still figuring out our business model and we did not do an ICO when we had the opportunity back in 2017, 2018. The uh, plan is to consider we're considering doing maybe a percentage fee on the on the marketplace, and I'm also uh, working on EIP-1337, which is the subscription standard on Ethereum, and we may do a subscription model. We think that the open source financial system, utility tokens, and ICOs are just the first killer app of the Ethereum blockchain, and there's going to be other ways to monetize your application. So trying to be very thoughtful and deliberate about how we do our business model, and that's why we haven't done an ICO yet. Very cool. Uh, so can you name any projects that are currently being funded with a Gitcoin model? Yeah, so we just finished up uh, a couple bounties and grants with MolochDAO, with Prismatic. We've done a few bounties with MetaMask. The Ethereum Foundation has given us a 100K grant in order to do bounties on their projects. So you can see Web3Pi, Geth bounties, and a few others on, on Gitcoin. It's been a real pleasure to have a product that accelerates the Ethereum 2.0 roadmap. Very cool. And do you know if any hacker teams are, are doing anything on top of Gitcoin yet at this conference? I have seen a, a couple projects that are talking about using Gitcoin uh, to distribute work out to the crowd over the weekend. So basically, if you don't have a designer or you don't have a Solidity hacker, you can put a bounty out and access our global workforce during your hackathon project this weekend. Uh, we're also built on the standard bounties standard on Ethereum, which means that we basically, bounties on Gitcoin are interoperable with any other site that does bounties. And we've seen people using that standard bounties contract for new innovative projects that they're working on this weekend. And uh, that's the benefit of open standards is that anyone can hack on them. Very cool. And so last question, what would make Ethereum Denver a successful conference for you and Gitcoin? 
Uh, I think that Ethereum Denver is already a successful conference for us uh, because I'm a Colorado native and uh, am very involved in the community out here. It's an intersection of my work in the tech community in Colorado and the global blockchain space, which is filled with people that I, that I love. And they're all here in Colorado, enjoying Colorado kombucha and craft <laughs> brews and some of the nightlife that we have around here. So it is our goal to put Colorado on the map in the technology ecosystem. There is a macro theme of people from the coasts moving to Colorado because there's space here, because people are friendly, there's quality of life out here. You can buy real estate for way cheaper than you can on the coasts. And uh, one of the things that people need if you're in work in technology and live in San Francisco or New York to move to Colorado is good jobs in technology and to be able to be a pioneer in the new open source financial ecosystem. And Ethereum Denver is the first ETH Global event that has been done twice. And I just think that that's amazing that uh, that what you might consider to be a third or a second tier market like Colorado is leading the charge, not only in doing the second, this, the first repeat ETH Global, but in the fact that we're actually using blockchain technology for our ticketing. When you go out to use food trucks at ETH Denver, you're using blockchain technology. We've got uh, 20 NFTs that people are collecting as they go around ETH Denver doing a scavenger hunt. And so we're leading not only in being the first to do the second, uh, a second ETH Global event, but also in dogfooding blockchain technology. And I hope that your listeners will consider coming to Denver to check it out in general, but also ETH Denver number three in 2020. Very cool. If people want to find out more about Gitcoin, where can they go? Yeah, you can just Google Gitcoin and uh, that will take you to our website, gitcoin.co. If you're a coder who is looking to get paid for your contributions to open source software, then come check us out. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Sure. All right, guys. Uh, Eric Voorhees is up next. Apologies in advance for the shitty audio. My microphone cord broke just right at where it goes into the microphone, so I had to hold it in place, which means it was at an awkward placement in relation to Eric. Uh, so I've tried to edit it as much as I can. It's just not great, but uh, the content is there. Uh, so sorry about that. Eric Vorkis, thanks for coming on POV Crypto. Really appreciate you taking your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Eric, you were just recently on a, a panel about uh, just ambiguity in the space. You want to talk about your biggest uh, takeaways from, from that panel? Um, I think the, the biggest takeaway, like the theme of the panel that I was on is just living up to the reality that entrepreneurs and businesses in this ecosystem have to deal with a lot of struggles and challenges. And it's not just like roses and unicorns all the time. Um, and so I think that's that's an important message to, to teach to other people that are getting involved is like, yes, this stuff is cool and you can make a lot of money and build great and successful things fairly quickly, but you have to be ready for all sorts of problems and you have to have a, a bit of grit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so this is the second time you've been to Ethereum Denver. You want to compare and contrast your experiences with uh, Denver 1 versus Denver 2? Yeah, so the one last year was, um, it came together really quickly. Like it started as a meetup and then they realized they had so many people that were going to show up that they turned it into a conference. And um, like 1,200 people showed up and it was really cool to see this all kind of just self-organized so quickly. And that was, um, you know, still in the tail glow of the bubble. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people hadn't quite gotten, hadn't quite realized like the bubble was over for now, so it was still very much in the hypeiness. So this year I was very curious to see what the turnout would be, um, because it's been a you know, little over a year of miserable markets. And probably the most notable thing is that there's more people here this year than last year. So that's that's a huge success. I think last year there were 1,200, and this year there's like 2,000, I think. So the enthusiasm is still really high, people are building stuff, and the quality of projects is better. It's not as many like, here's a white paper and we're doing an ICO, but like trying to solve a problem and build an actual application that people want. So that's cool. a great time. Are you going to be around to see the presentations from all the hackers? Yeah, I'm one of the judges. Oh, oh wonderful. Uh, what are you looking forward to, to seeing or what do you want to see? Anything, uh, any protocol that you are hoping hackers are building on top of? Well, so I'm not an engineer, which gives me a unique perspective. I want to see, I want to see stuff that helps normal people use crypto more easily. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be kind of looking out for that kind of thing. Cool, very cool. Um, and then last question. So I'm assuming you've been to numerous conferences across the uh, cryptocurrency space. How does uh, the East Global Series kind of compare to, to other types of conferences like uh, Consensus 
or any other like Bitcoin conference like that. Well, this this one's definitely got a a hacker theme to it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people here are, are here for the hackathon. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a different there's a lot more people trying to build stuff and interacting with each other. Probably a much higher engineering um, content here than in other other events. So that's been nice to see. And then the Ethereum community generally is just very open and permissive and friendly. Um, so that's that's nice. Some of the Bitcoin conferences are kind of elitist or maximalist, and that gets tiring. But the Ethereum community is, is always really fun to be around. Cool. Do you have any uh, requests for our listeners regarding uh, Shapeshift or uh, Salt? Um, so yeah, with Shapeshift, we just announced our new platform yesterday. So it's a private beta right now, and uh, people can sign up at um, beta.shapeshift.com for the private beta list. And uh, that's that's my only ask at this point. Cool, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Richard, thanks for coming on POV Crypto. For those that weren't able to make it to East Denver, will you kind of pitch set protocol to them? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm Richard. Uh, I work on growth operations here at Set Protocol. So essentially, we're a protocol that allows um, bundling of multiple uh, tokens uh, and represent that as one single uh, ERC-20 token. And with that technology, uh, we can extend it to uh, broader asset management uh, and tokenizing portfolio strategies. Uh, so for example, um, you can essentially uh, simulate buying the dip and selling uh, ETH and taking profits uh, when the ETH price of ETH goes up uh, using our protocol uh, by coding additional logic into how our uh, protocol rebalances. So essentially, um, we have this technology which anyone can create, manage, uh, redeem, issue, and um, work on like making different sets um, and different portfolio strategies uh, using set protocol. Very cool. So for people who aren't very technical savvy, can you kind of do it and explain like I'm five for how bundles of tokens are created? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, so we actually are coming out with a consumer facing uh, application called token sets, uh, currently in beta right now. So that will showcase a bunch of sets that we have created uh, and planning on to release. Uh, so creating a set is really simple um, by using our, um, our tools that we created. Anyone could just pick the allocations of what someone wants to go in the set and uh, deploy that contract, essentially, to Ethereum. Very cool. Will you, let's go down a list of the, the, the coolest set tokens out there, like what's inside of the set token bundles and uh, which ones are your favorites? Yeah, sure. So we've gotten a lot of good feedback on... Uh, just general like buying the dip strategies uh, where if the price of ETH falls below like 80 bucks for example um, the set would use DAI to buy additional ETH and if ETH goes above like $200 for example uh, ETH would automatically be sold for more DAI. And, and we, this is all contained inside of one token correct? Yep, yep. All the investor or the holder of a set has to do is just keep it in their wallet or in cold storage and everything would happen under the hood. Very cool. So let's imagine a future where set protocol, where all the stars align and everything falls into, into place and set protocol is like maximally successful. What do you think, uh, what is, are some like super cool potential tokens that could be built on top of set protocol? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I think security tokens are big. Uh, being able to offer like stocks, uh, bonds in a bundle, uh, similar to traditional finance. Uh, in addition, uh, also collectibles, um, being to offer like a bundle of crypto kitties, kind of like a booster pack for games. Uh, that'd be really awesome. Would you say that Set Protocol is like the bottom layer infrastructure for creating just kind of like ETF products for a bunch of different financial uh, tokens that come on Ethereum? Is that right? Yep, exactly. Uh, ETF indexes, portfolios, a uh, bunch of collectibles, booster packs for any kind of token in the future. Very cool. And if our audience wants to find more, where can they go find out about Set? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, you can visit us at uh, setprotocol.com uh, uh, or check out, check out our uh, new beta um, uh, testing at uh, beta at tokensets.com. Very cool. Thanks for coming on the podcast, yep. Richard. Yep, no problem. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Nabo from Status Wallet. Nabo, you want to say hi? Hey, how's it going? All right, so Status Wallet, 
you guys have a pretty pretty a privileged position here at ETH Denver. You want to say uh, a little bit about how uh, Status is helping the ETH Denver infrastructure? Sure. So um, the the goal of Status is basically to be the mobile window into Ethereum. So right now we have peer-to-peer -peer chat, we have a wallet as well as being a DApp browser. So any application that gets built on top of Ethereum, the goal is for it to be accessible through Status for any user who wants to get it on their phone. Very cool. And uh, so we're at a hackathon. Do you know if any hackers are hacking on top of Status at the moment? Yeah, so we have um, LeapDAO we know are, is building like a, a lottery red packet extension for use inside of um, public chat channels. We know a lot of people who are building um, status-optimized dApps, which are using our JavaScript API in order to create um, a more integrated user experience where you can have access to the camera, the contact code, and thing like, things like that. So we're super excited about what, what people are building on our platform. Very cool. And so what would make ETH Denver a successful conference for status? I think we'd love to see people's creativity in terms of how you can utilize um, either extensions inside of Status or um, using our using the API to create unique experiences. For us, um, we are really looking for, we believe the developers are going to be what makes the, um, not only Status but the entire Ethereum ecosystem successful in terms of the experiences that they make, the dApps they create, and we're just excited to see what people come up with. Very cool, thanks for coming on the podcast. Cool, thanks. Uh, if people want to find out more, where should they go? Just head to status.im. If you um, if you're interested in, in doing any um, if you want to check out our documentation or anything like that, download status. You can join this. You join the public channel called hashtag status, and you can get started. Talk to people, see what what's up. Um, so yeah, download the app, check out our website, check out our documentation. We want to build things. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Sweet. Reese, thanks for coming on to POV Crypto. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Reese is kind of the main organizer of ETH Denver. Would you explain your role? I would say I'm not the main organizer. In fact, definitely not the main organizer. There's this guy, John Powler, who um, is, I would say, the main organizer, the chief steward. And But I did help a lot with last year's ETH Denver. And then this year's ETH Denver, I'm just here to kind of help out and MC and help with the judging and stuff like that. Cool. And Reese, you, plug, you uh, run your own podcast. You want to kind of plug that one real quick? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's as as David said, he's listened to it a bit. It's, it's kind of a systems view on on cryptocurrency and society and technology more generally. Um, and I work at the MIT Media Labs Digital Currency Initiative, um, and so it's a podcast from there called Gray Mirror, um, which says, "Hey, not unlike Black Mirror, which is just the negative impacts of tech on society. It's looking at the positive and negative impacts of tech on society." Yeah, absolutely must listen if you're into the big macro picture view of cryptocurrencies. Uh, so, Reese, you've been involved with this ETH Denver and then also last year's ETH Denver. Mm -hmm. Will you compare and contrast to those experiences? Like, how has ETH Denver grown? What have you seen that's different? Uh, what's improved? What are you still looking for to improve upon? Yeah, that's a good question. So. I would say the biggest difference for me personally is that last year I did a ton of work in helping set it up, and this year I essentially just showed up um, <laughs> and then am helping uh, you know here on the ground. Uh, I think that for me it's cool to see some of the um, some of the things like expand more. So like right now we're in this rest like this relaxation room with like yoga happening. Mm -hmm. The makerspace on the sixth floor is doing more weird stuff. Um, so I think that that stuff is interesting. I like there's a bunch of different like new impact tracks this year and stuff. So it's I feel like they've kind of this year was a year of like lots of experimentation it seems like. Um, so I like all of that. Uh, I think that from a vibes perspective, most things feel relatively similar um, mm -hmm. in that it's a bunch of people who are here looking to build. Last year, there were probably more venture capitalist types, um, and this year, there's probably more just like straight hackers, I would say, because um, the, the price is lower mm -hmm. than it was last year. Um, and... I mean, in, in, in terms of things, I mean, it's a great... The other thing this year is that there's a lot more folks from the Ethereum Foundation this year. Because um, last year, ETH Denver was the second... was really the start of ETH Global as, a, as an idea and a concept. There was ETH Waterloo, which was a hackathon, which happened in October of 2017. And then ETH Denver in February of 2018. And it was really the first kickstart to say, hey, we can have these ETH hackathons all around the world. Um, and this year, now a bunch of the Ethereum Foundation folks are kind of tapped in more directly um, and, and, and helping out and being part of it. So that's, that's cool to see a bunch of more EF uh, types around. Cool. And uh, what would make Ethereum Denver successful this year for you? What are you hoping to see come out of it? Hmm. I mean, so for me personally, I am... Uh, a 
as from like a steward perspective, from like an organizer perspective, I just want people to um, have a great time and want to come back next year and recommend it to all their friends. Um, I also love to see it when great projects get created, just to see people working with all the new tooling. I mean, think about last year, like a, this Blockboard project came out of it last year, this uh, Elkrum project came out of it last year. So there's been a bunch of projects that came out last year that have turned into like real companies. So I love seeing that. Um, for me personally, I'm also just looking to, I'm doing some writing. Uh, that's like my hacking kind of thing. Um, so maybe hopefully finishing my little writing piece. So I'd say those things. Very cool, very cool. And so let's actually get into a little bit of your personal opinions on the crypto space. I know you, I think, I believe crypto has attracted your attention simply because of the potential uh, mechanisms it has for sp uh, spreading equality throughout the world. Uh, and then you seem to have landed inside the Ethereum ecosystem as a result of that. Um, so can we can you talk about a little bit about your relationship between uh, your maybe allegiance to Ethereum based on those principles mm -hmm. or uh, or what kind of drives your motivation to be inside of crypto and, and where would you want to expend your efforts uh, to, to achieve the dream of having this like a uh, very uh, equal world that's based off of cryptocurrency? Yes, that's an interesting question. I'd say that in general, the work, so my like deep why, the reason why I do work in the world is in order to, it, it's because we live in this kind of fragile time. We're at the end of the industrial age, the beginning of the information age. We have 4 billion network smartphones. We're faster, more interconnected, more complex, more powerful than ever before. Um, and so it's kind, of, it's kind of intense. It's an intense time. And so doing things in the world that can make things less intense and less fragile is what I generally work towards. And crypto has a variety of positive properties there, both from a social perspective and a like a paradigm perspective, and from just like a technical decentralization perspective. Um, so, so that's why I'm into crypto more generally, is because I think it's one of the powerful technologies in our future. But that I'm still very interested in AI and tech ethics more generally, and things of that variety. And then specifically within cryptocurrency, um, I mean, I landed within the Ethereum community because um, I felt more aligned with some of the culture here. Uh, and I would say that I was aligned with some of the culture, the kind of like active do-gooder culture versus, you know, in the Bitcoin world, it was more kind of libertarian. And I agree with a lot of the libertarian perspective, but um, uh, it, it kind of turned me off maybe a little bit more. And then I would also say that for me personally, the Bitcoin world has a lot of, um, like I'm a computer science major, but I'm not like, a, I didn't want to do coding or anything of that variety. And the Bitcoin world has bunch of like great deep down protocol level work that's happening, cryptographic work. Um, while Ethereum, it's kind of more understandable for someone like me who's just thinking about like the application layer. Um, so that was another piece of why I initially was into Ethereum. But I would say that in general, I mean, now I work at the Digital Currency Initiative at MIT and none of my, all of the people that I work with are um, relatively like, I mean, agnostic with respect to the, the, the various coins that they're into. Um, none of us hold very much cryptocurrency, but I work with, you know, people that are a little bit more Bitcoin-y. They're like two Bitcoin core devs, one of the co-founders of Zcash, someone who's like at the, was ex-Bank of England and things about like, um, you know, central bank, you know, digital fiat. So, so that's, so I would say that I don't really, in general, I try to keep my identity small. And I would say that a year ago, I was definitely more into Ethereum than I am now, um, primarily just from the, like I was deep within it as like an initial starting place and now I've kind of expanded my scope to say Ethereum is one piece of smart contracting platforms, which are one piece of um, crypto and blockchain technology, which is one piece of tech and one piece of this tech ethics and this macro kind of transition that we're going through. Very so. comprehensive answer. Sorry. So, no, that was great. Uh, uh, last question. What about cryptocurrency keeps you up at night? Hmm... I would say, I mean, I think that a, that a classic response to this would be, I think, so the two responses to this are, A, um, like, can it scale? You know, it's like <laughs> one version of this. Um, and the other version of this is the, like, what happens if we create this enabling technology that has kind of naturally viral properties based off of, um, it's like gambling and speculative nature. Um, if we start to create this, this technology, how, it, what, what does this technology allow us to do? What are the affordances of, this, affordances of the technology? And how will it actually, so when you think about something like Facebook going into, whether it's in America in 2016, or you know, Myanmar and Burma recently with some of the like, genocidal stuff happening there, or you know, the Arab Spring. And so I think about how blockchain and crypto will um, impact the world and, and whether it will, how we can, if possible, um, shape it in a positive way um, as it does some of its disruptive technologies. So that's that's what keeps me up. 
Very cool. Reese, thanks for coming on the uh, podcast. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for uh, for your questions and, and, and hope everybody's out there in the world is doing a good job with their stuff. Bye. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm here with Mariano from MakerDAO, head of Oracles. Mariano, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. So, Mariano, you have been to a number of ETH Global Series events, I believe. Can you compare uh, today, uh, this ETH Denver event to other ETH Series events? Uh, yes, so this one is probably the biggest one I've seen and probably the biggest one overall. Um, interesting that a lot of the people here are first-timers to Ethereum. So uh, I think unlike other events, this one uh, is a lot more catered to first-timers as well who want to just learn about Ethereum. So I think that's a, a pretty cool uh, approach. Have many hacking teams come up to the MakerDAO booth and talked about what they're trying to build on top of MakerDAO? Uh, yes, we've seen a few. Um, usually during hackathons, it's mostly people that want to integrate DAI into their uh, dApps and not so much uh, working with CDPs directly just because 36 hours of hacking is sometimes not enough. But I did see um, a team that is trying to come up with uh, automatically rebalancing CDPs. So uh, you give the uh, a ratio and if the price is going up, um, it'll increase your debt. If it's going down, it'll pay it off. Um, for what purpose, I'm still not sure, but uh, <laughs> the idea uh, sounds really solid. Uh, so if you had your way, what would people, uh, what, what would you like to see come out of the hacking teams out of uh, ETH Denver? One project that I still haven't seen anybody do correctly is a secondary market for CDPs. And um, I think that, that it's just good for on like the technical side, but it could also become like a big business. And I don't know if we're going to uh, be responsible for like the next bubble of like bad credit in the Ethereum blockchain, but I would like to see that. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about the XDAI wallet, which MakerDAO is at least tangentially involved with. Uh, can you tell, tell our listeners who weren't able to come to ETH Denver about how the Buffy DAI wallet has been integrated into ETH Denver? Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to say that it is magical uh, if you have never used it. You just go to a website, uh, scan a QR code, and then you automatically have um, an amount of uh, Buffy DAI to spend, which is... Um, one buffy die is one dollar so uh, there are trucks outside that will sell you food for eight dollars you scan a qr code uh you send uh, the eight buffy die and five seconds later it's confirmed on your side on the vendor side and everybody's been using it i have i don't have any numbers maybe you do uh but it's gotta be in the tens of thousands or i have no idea but um it is really for me the future of one of the things that we want to see is people interacting with the blockchain even if they don't know that they're doing that so uh, i've seen people post their private keys on twitter uh, so we still need to ed educate them about that but um for like the first time that i've seen this happen at this scale uh, it is simply mind-blowing so it's like we're eating our own dog food but our dog food tastes pretty good oh it does it does and um that's what i like about maker that we dog food, absolutely everything. So uh, Buffy Dye is just the latest example. Cool. Mariano, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And uh, it's great to uh, meet you in person finally. Yeah, yeah likewise, likewise. Let's keep the uh, Twitter relationship strong. For sure. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. I have Jack from Wire here on the podcast. Jack, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So Jack, tell our audience a little bit about Wire. What are you guys doing here at Eat Denver? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, just a little background about Wire. We've been in this space since 2013. We started out doing uh, merchant processing for Bitcoin and e-wallets for Bitcoin. But obviously, it was crypto winter 1.0 during 2014, 2015, you know, blockchain, not Bitcoin days. So it wasn't really a viable business model at the time. Merchant adoption never really took off. So in 2016, we pivoted to start doing cross-border payments using crypto as a rail. Uh, and all that really means is, you know, you're going from fiat to crypto in one market and crypto to fiat in another market. You can think of it as Stellar or Ripple, except instead of using their native token, we're using Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, which are deeper liquidity, right? So you know, if, if you think of Ripple, when they go from uh, 
USD to MXN for Mexico, for example, they will still go from Bittrex an exchange to Bitso another exchange, uh, but they will only trade in their own token. So for us, we use Bitcoin uh, as liquidity uh, for cross-border payments, and that worked out really well for us. So from doing that, you know, we gathered a lot of different licenses from around the world in terms of payment licenses, a lot of banking relationships, um, and then 2017 obviously happened with all the ICO boom. So, so in 2018, when we kind of entered Crypto Winter 2.0, and we saw a lot of projects that uh, were facing issues with user adoption, we, we saw a need to help all the projects with fiat on-ramps. And so that's what we're doing now. We added uh, MakerDAO uh, DAI stablecoin as one of our currencies, uh, and we support Bitcoin, Ethereum, and DAI on our core API. And, and we basically have an onboarding API that allows your, uh, allows the uh, Web3 projects users to pass us the KYC AML, uh, quickly get verified, and basically be able to go from their payment method on file into their Ethereum uh, wallet. Very cool. So this is a hackathon, and so people are going to be hacking on top of wire. What are you hoping to see out of these very, very hacking teams? What do you want to see built, or what do you want to see experimented with? Yeah, I mean, there's so many cool things that you can do with our API, right? So, I mean, at the very core of it, we are an on-ramp and off-ramp from the fiat world back onto the blockchain. So, if you know, if, if you think of any use case, whether that be lending, whether that be uh, some sort of uh, decentralized financial protocol that still requires within their flow of fund uh, to come back into the fiat world and then back onto the blockchain. So, you know, I, I would love to see uh, a project that makes uh, some sort of CDP right back into fiat. So you abstract the ETH to the CDP to the DAI, you abstract all that and you just go from CDP to fiat. That would be really awesome to see as like my number one project. That would, yeah. And Wire has $5,000 to be given out. How much money are you guys have in bounties for hackers? Yeah, so we're giving away 5,000 DAI, uh, 1,000 for the most creative project, uh, another thousand for uh, best use case. And yeah, we have like a few thousand that we give away and also 100 DAI for the first 20 participants. Very cool. So let's hope that they are currently building something really cool on Wire. Jack, thanks for coming on the podcast. If they, if people, our audience is interested in finding out more about Wire, where should they go? Yeah, so you go to sendwire.com. That's S-E-N-D-W-Y-R-E.com. And you can also reach out to partners at sendwire.com as well. Cool. Jack, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I am here with Mo from Seller Network. Mo, you want to say hi? Uh, hi, everyone. This is Mo from Seller. Uh, Mo, what does Seller do? Uh, Seller makes uh, the blockchain fast. Basically, that's that's what it does. And Seller is a layer two scaling platform that can not accelerate not only your payments but also smart contract transactions. So you can build uh, very interesting things like highly interactive games, mm -hmm. uh, prediction market with off-chain order matching, and uh, micropayment uh, with like paper use and all these cool stuff. Uh, you know, with very low transaction fee and a high scalability. Okay, so Mo, I like to play a lot of chess, and I really want to be able to, to uh, put $5 of DAI or $5 of Ether and then put it in a pot and, uh, and play someone via Ethereum. Can you kind of explain how that would work with your platform? Uh, yeah, that would actually work perfectly because uh, now we have a product that released on Robston. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it is our testnet product, but you can already play a board game inside of the product. So how that would work is that in the beginning of the game, you will send a conditional payment to each other. Conditionally, it depends on the result of the game. And the game itself is, is fully implemented as a generalized smart contract, generalized state channel smart contract, so that no one can cheat. And at the same time, the game experience is highly interactive. Uh, if you implement this on directly on blockchain, Every step you make, every move you make, is going to take several minutes to actually uh, get seen by, the, uh, by, your, uh, by your opponent or by your counterparty. But on Seller, everything is real time. It, it feels like there's no blockchain, basically. So the moves I make, like Knight to F3, uh, that is actually recorded on the Seller uh, uh, state channel, correct? That is correct. And uh, you know, no one can cheat in that uh, entire playing process. Very cool. Uh, so what about uh, maybe potential integrations with maybe third-party uh, games? I know this is entirely like theoretical, but like, what if you wanted to like, integrate uh, a, like a seller network into Fortnite? Is that possible? So uh, this is definitely not theoretical. You can, you can actually do it now today. Uh, we have JavaScript SDK, iOS SDK, and Android SDK all released. Uh, so you can actually develop a, a, you know, all sorts of a board game today. Uh, now, the API surface is still a little bit raw, I would say, uh, but like we're uh, also releasing a platform that you can very easily 
de uh, you know, design and build this kind of turn-based games uh, directly on Setter with, uh, with absolute ease. Like, it would take maybe 20 minutes to develop one. Very cool. Mo, thanks for coming on the podcast. If people want to find out more, where should they go look? Uh, so if you're interested in Stellar Network, the project about the deep technology, uh, Stellar.network is the link to go. And if you're interested in, in uh, trying out the product, uh, we uh, have the product called Stellar X. And uh, the uh, URL to get that is StellarX.app. Very cool. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys, I'm here with Chadwick from Scale. Chadwick, say hi. Hey, how's it going, listeners? What's going on? POV Crypto, we're at POV Crypto. POV Crypto, yeah. <laughs> okay, so for our listeners who weren't able to come to East Denver, will you kind of explain Scale to them? Sure, absolutely. So Scale is a layer two sidechain network that enables any Ethereum developer who's writing Solidity contracts mm -hmm. to be able to deploy their contracts onto a Scale sidechain, mm -hmm. which is like a mini Ethereum. But what that does especially is enable contracts, like full EVM code execution at really high speeds. So 2,000 transactions per second. We're not talking financial transactions or contract calls, but actual EVM execution. Very cool. So it's not a state channel. It's not a plasma. How, does, how, do, how would you compare uh, the scale sidechain to, to those technologies? Yeah, it's a different technology. With a plasma, there's this uh, exit challenge that has been an issue or a challenge for contract developers to write any sort of contract. So you have a narrow constraint of what contracts you're able to write on a plasma chain because of that exit finality. Um, and with state channels, again, like the amount of breadth of contract execution that you can do is sort of limited. So we focus on like how do we get full EVM execution at scale. And so as our sidechain implementation, we have a very unique, complicated infrastructure. But around it, at our core, we have an Ethereum client that's wrapped around this really unique Dockerized container system with a unique consensus method that allows us to do that. Okay, so you called it a mini Ethereum. So is it just kind of like, just like the Ethereum that we all know and love, but with like less nodes that access higher throughput? Is that correct? It's a little different. So we have a scale network, which is a network of validator nodes. Mm -hmm. And so when you request a scale sidechain or a scale chain, a set of those nodes are chosen at random. Uh, and then those provide the logic. They act as a one unit to provide your sidechain uh, functionality. Is that kind of like pseudo sharding or something? Uh, no, I wouldn't say pseudo sharding because each node is basically acting as an individual block proposer and actually um, uh, competes with consensus with all the other nodes. So the, uh, the Ethereum client uh, lives on each of those nodes. So it's like a parallel execution of Ethereum mini 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 blockchains. Very cool. I'm asking, I'm asking you the hard questions. <laughs> um, so like, tell us about the fees on Scale. How does that work? Yeah, so Scale's unique system, so it's a proof of stake. But as a dApp developer, you basically stake a part of the network, like the amount of bandwidth that you need. Mm -hmm. And so there's really no gas cost. Mm -hmm. You pay for the bandwidth that you need and the time that you need. And you can operate within those constraints for as long as you want. So this allows people to remove the design constraints they had with like, you know, minimizing or optimizing gas usage on their contracts. Mm -hmm. You are now not limited by the gas use. So for so the gas on Ethereum is used to prevent a rogue contract from just going in a loop and then burning up the whole entire network. How do you mitigate that on scale? Yeah, we have two ways. Uh, one is like a proof of proof of work, just as a, a, a proof to show that your contract is not rogue, that it's not you know some sort of cyclical recursive function that's going to burn everything to hell. Uh, but uh, the other way is we have like a security security team. So if your scale sidechain is acting like a little bit weird, we have a way of validating what that is going on. And so that gives an alert that maybe that chain needs to be paused if there's like a recursive issue. Very cool. And so you guys have been to other ETH global events. Can you kind of compare and contrast uh, this ETH Denver event to other ones you've been to? Yeah, so we've been to ETH Berlin and ETH SF. Um, and both of them are really interesting hackathons. I mean. Uh, San Francisco and the Bay Area has like a really strong community of developers and blockchain enthusiasts and crypto enthusiasts. And Berlin equally has a really amazing ecosystem. So for us, it was really interesting just to integrate and, and like, you know, um, engage with different people with different backgrounds. And there are a lot of similar people at the same, same place. ETHSF was a, a massive hackathon. I think it was declared one of the largest in the world at the time. Uh, ETH Berlin was smaller, but it was a really interesting place. Very ins Both were at very inspiring locations, but it's just different communities with different backgrounds, and it's really good to get that uh, get engagement from different people. Cool. And then last question, do you know if any hackers are, are uh, working on top of scale here at ETH Denver? 
Yes, yes. We've had some really exciting submissions. So we'll be announcing uh, the winners of our bounty program. Mm -hmm. But it was really great to see um, all the different approaches to people using scale. And it was also amazing to hear how easy it was mm -hmm. to deploy to scale. It wasn't learning a whole new contract language or a whole new SDK. It was literally going into your Truffle JS and turning your endpoint to our scale chain. Very cool. If people want to find out more about Scale, where should they go? Uh, Scalelabs.com. All the information is there, and we have a developer Discord channel, which the link is on our website. So for all you developers that, out there that want to learn more, go to our website and join our Discord and ask some questions. We're there to help. Chadwick just did this on three hours of sleep, and he absolutely killed it. Chadwick, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. I'm going to look for some coffee now. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Mark andre welcome to POV Crypto. Hey. Nice to be there. Nice to be here. All right, so we're here at East Denver. What are you really excited for to see at East Denver? Well, I'm uh, really for looking forward uh, level two uh, applications. I mean, I think I think that's the year where we'll be trying to scale. Uh, we had all these crazy ideas for the past few years, but now it's time to deliver something that works at scale. And uh, I'm really looking forward. And I'm seeing there's some tools. Uh, the infrastructure is getting there, so I think. It's this year we'll see that that stuff. Okay, tell us about uh, Twitter Twitter Die Bot. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's a Make Your Die uh, Bot on Twitter. That's something I built for fun uh, last summer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually, I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to start doing analysis on the blockchain. I mean, extracting data, doing some real stuff, applications. So, as a fun exercise, a weekend exercise, I built this this bot, and I've been expanding it a bit lately. And uh, if you haven't heard about it, basically, uh, it tweets about events that happens on the Make Your Die DAO project. So let's say there's a major CDP that is on the break of failure. Well, it will send you a it sends a little message or hey, this CDP like. 3228 is about to we, fail again. We know that guy. <laughs> we know that guy. And, uh, and uh, to my surprise, a lot of people are following that, that bot. There's a lot of interest. And uh, I mean, just a silly little bot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a silly little bot. And I to totally get a ton of enjoyment out of it. So yeah, yeah thank you for building it. And it's good to see you here at December. Uh, it's great to be here. Cool. It's over. I just got back to my apartment, just got back from the airport. First thing I did was pull out my laptop to record this uh, outro. Thank you guys for bearing with the variable audio quality, but uh, the content I know was there. I was super happy with everybody that I was able to interview. Uh, big shout out to all the teams that came on to the podcast. I'm gonna do my best to make sure I tag all of you on Twitter. Um, some, oh, some personal shout outs um, the MakerDAO team just really made my East Denver experience shout out to Rich at MakerDAO uh, shout out to Dave Utrobin, uh, to Lenka and to Ashley Ashley threw on a great uh, presentation uh, you guys really made a, a MakerDAO uh, themed experience for me at East Denver and I loved every single minute of it if you want to see or hear about the teams that won or were in the top 20 finalists, I live tweeted it and I've pinned it on my Twitter. Um, uh, in the meantime, you can follow the show at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Trustless State. Uh, you can follow Christian, who's uh, MIA on this episode, at CK underscore Snarks. And then also, please rate and review the podcast. We super duper need it. Uh, it's how we grow. Uh, we really, really depend on it. If we get to 50 ratings, I will shut up about ratings for like five episodes. So let's let's make that a goal. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Bye. Will you just